Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 54, Play Ball. Nobody even knows I'm here. I drove my car up. There's no way we can get caught. Hey, Doc! Oh, Billy. Oh, boy. Well, there's a surprise for you right there. That shows you how desperate they are. Looks like Doc Fuller's coming up. Yeah, you really think you should be drinking like that? Come on. Need something to get me through these six-hour hell rides? Yeah, old boy, if it spend ugly, you'd be a rich man. You know, man. I just had about enough of you, boy. Yeah, come on, fat boy. According to Ziggy, 89% chance that you're here to help Doc get back to the biggies. I'm not sure that Doc got the start because of his pitching abilities. Get down. Meaning? I think he slept his way in. Yeah, you sleep with her. Uh, you get into the game, no, you change no. the outcome, and then you leave No, there. I don't want to sleep with her. She gives me the creeps. You don't know what I'm thinking. Yes, I no, do you don't. know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how could I do that to this kid? He's got all the talent. He gets caught doing the bingo, bango, bongo with Lolita there, gets kicked off the team, and never makes it back into organized ball. You know, there's going to be a major league scout at that game tomorrow. It occurs to me that a person, say, a pitcher maybe, could benefit greatly by from exposure like that. I am giving a little dinner party at my house tomorrow night. Uh, how little? Counting you and me. Two. What time? <gasps> Looks like I just got myself a starting pitcher. Hey everyone, this is Chris. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Hey, who do I got in the stands with me today? Let's hear a big cheer. <laughs> is, is this an attempt to make this fun? Uh, I said, what's the cheesiest way I could start this episode? And that's, that's pretty much the best I could do. What do you think? Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Penelope loves it. <laughs> Penelope's cheering. <laughs> as long as someone does i know someone who loves baseball and that's penelope <laughs> <laughs> what does she think of the episode <laughs> you guys never introduced yourself oh well i'm allison pregler and i'm matt dale hey and the gang's all here so how do you guys feel about uh, stepping up to the plate and talking about the season four episode of play ball that wasn't too scripted was it no. <laughs> 
Oh, that actually was, wasn't it? I wasn't even looking at the notes. <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, it sounded fine, but you outed yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Don't break the fourth wall. Yeah. <laughs> so, how could that not be scripted? But anyway, yeah, we're here. We're here in season four. And, wow. Uh, it's kind of nice to start. I feel it's it, it's the first time in a little while that we three just get to speak about a normal non-event episode. And it, it's kind of refreshing to me to just watch something that had small stakes and was, was more akin to what we're used to seeing instead of event leaps like uh, Shock Theater and The Leap Back. Yeah, after after the last couple, like, really heavy, deep-into-it episodes, you know, this one's nice and light. Yeah, that's a depressing way of putting it, though. (laughs) (laughs) Is this, like, leap of faith syndrome, where it's like, you follow a really good run, and it's never really going to be that great? (laughs) Yeah, and I... I, I, the, the kind of in the context you're putting that in, Chris, it makes it sound like you know, we're we're expecting a whole run of episodes just with the same quality as Playball. Ah, I didn't mean <laughs> it like that at all. I'm sorry uh, if I came across yeah. that way. I apologize to listeners. <laughs> I apologize to my co-hosts if I sounded down. I, I really didn't mean to sound down. No, no. no, you you didn't sound down. Um, this is more my, my spin on Playball. I think I think that's just a dig at Playball. <laughs> I think Matt's getting in some good zingers at the expense (laughs) of the classic Quantum Leap episode, Play Ball. Oh dear, this is going to be a difficult one, isn't it? (laughs) I didn't think it would be, but I look forward to how difficult you're going to make it. (laughs) Sounds like you're going to complain on this episode as much as Allison complained on the Leap Back. We'll see, we'll see. (laughs) And I say that with tongue in cheek, Allison. You didn't complain. You just had many things to say on many a topic. <laughs> I just made for a very interesting episode. <laughs> I just talk a lot. I t- <laughs> uh, but but I uh, I got one question for you guys about this episode. Are you ready for some sports ball? <laughs> I, I mean, I guess uh, as ever. <laughs> right. I mean, uh, okay. Wh- why don't we start like this? Is anyone among us a sports fan? Nope. Not particularly. And that makes three. Okay, so (laughs) I wonder if we're going to miss something fundamental to this episode, some kind of enjoyment that actual ball fans, sports ball, or otherwise get it. But you know what? I don't conduct autopsies for a living, but I still think Goodnight Dear Heart is a pretty good episode. I don't think enjoying baseball necessarily is a requirement for enjoying this episode sure this was a this was bringing to mind to me about um in the 90s there was like a huge slew of like inspirational baseball movies Mm -hmm. and i'm totally not into sports but I could watch Angels in the Outfield anytime, and I'm like, yeah, do the like wing thing, like yeah, you play that ball. So if you're telling a good story around it, it doesn't matter if it's based on something that maybe isn't in my particular interest. Um, and Quantum Leap is usually pretty good about that. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I agree, and I have to. Hmm, it's funny you say that. In the '90s, there were a lot of baseball movies. I'm thinking of them: Angels in the Outfield. Never saw it. Field of Dreams. Never saw it. Um, well, well you, you saw a couple of seconds of it in this, so... You know. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, did they have Field of... Was that the Field of Dreams baseball field? The, the Field of Dreams field appears, yeah. Oh, man. Does it? Yeah, which is also um, Sam's uh, home in the, in the Leap Home. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they had that exterior mm-hmm. of the farm. <laughs> it has, like, the baseball field. Yeah, his, his farm mysteriously has a baseball field, and the baseball field here mysteriously has some corn. <laughs> 
I didn't notice that. Now we have to go back getting a screen cap of that. <laughs> that's hilarious. A lot of corn in Texas, I guess. Well, that's that's why Sam's like, you know, I, I should have been a baseball player, you know, instead of a basketball player. I always wondered <laughs> was why I never right went in that in field yard. right in my yard. Yeah. <laughs> he was too busy milking cows. <laughs> I guess so. Holy moly. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I said, it's, fun- it's funny. I have never seen Field of Dreams. I'm thinking back to the last baseball movie I actually watched, and it might have been Major League in the theaters, and then maybe Major League 2, which had Scott Bakula, right? No, the third one had Scott Bakula. That would be no. Major League Back to the Minors. <laughs> <laughs> So there's a quantum leap connection there. And Is this episode yeah. vaguely Major League inspired? I was thinking it might be. Because it's got some similar plot elements, I hear. But I have not seen the first Major League. I have only seen Major League Back to the Minors. So. <laughs> of course you have. Now, I can, I can speak pretty authoritatively about Major League, uh, the first one, because I kind of remember watching it in the movie theater. And the only thing that... <clears throat> You ha- you have sort of the, the female owner, mm-hmm. so that's that's in this one too. Um, you have sort of the the grumpy coach that's in this one, and Charlie Sheen plays a pitcher with a wild arm. So I guess Neil McDonough is Charlie Sheen light, or an actual character where Charlie Sheen's character just seemed to be a gimmick of the movie. I I, I don't know. I, I feel like that's a, a common baseball movie kind of thing though have like a character with like a crazy good arm like there was that movie uh rookie of the year where the kid like breaks his arm and then all of a sudden he's got like a super arm after that i'm kind of feeling like i've done my research all wrong here because i have not seen any of these films you're talking about i know field of dreams but that was like what 20 years ago um the rest of these films now i've i've not seen any baseball movies so if you guys are going to spend the next hour or so talking about that, that's fine. But you'll probably just get a lot of me going, oh, yeah. But out of the movies oh. that we've talked about, the one that I've seen is Angels in the Outfield. So I think you're good. Well, and Major League Back to the Minors. You don't I've know not... Angels in the Outfield? No. It was uh, Christopher Lloyd plays an angel. And then these uh, oh. there's the team called the Angels. And he helps this kid, uh, you know, okay, I, be inspired. I know yeah, okay. and there's one one baseball movie is the reason we all know Carmen, and that's Bad News Bears. Have you guys seen Bad News Bears? I've heard of it. Mm, nope. Bad News Bears and Breaking Training. Come on, man. <laughs> bad News Bears is fun to say when you're trying to say something's not great. That's Bad News Bears. <laughs> I've never heard it used that way, but <laughs> I'm going to use it that way from now on. <laughs> anyway, now Walter Matthau in the original, and then I think it was uh, Jack Warden played uh buttermaker in the second one and then they did they redid it with uh freaking bad santa why am i blanking on his name uh billy bob thornton yes billy bob is that his name i think so i might be getting it wrong <laughs> billy bob <laughs> billy bob billy bob thornton billy bob yeah gonna google it billy bob thornton yeah it's just a stupid it name it sounds thornton. fake yeah. but it's real yeah <laughs> sounds like he should be in quantum leap we watched an episode of Quantum Leap, I think, at some Didn't point, we? right? <laughs> I think you guys just watched a whole bunch of movies. No, huh? I, like, really, I've not seen these. I just heard of them. <laughs> I think we're all desperately trying to establish some kind of baseball cred to base this conversation on. Well, you know what? Question like, mark? <laughs> good sports stories. Good sports stories, for me, are not just about the sport. 
Like, if I can get into the characters, like, I can get into the story. So, like, there's parts of this that I'm not as invested in, like the long segment where they're just playing baseball, because I'm not really into baseball. But for the most part... It's an all right episode. I think it's it's got what I was referencing before, which mm-hmm. is like leap of faith syndrome. You know, after you have like a good string of solid episodes, it's going to be kind of a letdown, whatever you follow it up with. Well, then why don't we go into initial impressions? Because I'm going to disagree with you wholeheartedly on that one. I didn't think that this was a letdown at all. As a matter of fact, the only thing I remembered about this episode, I really don't think I've seen it since it was originally aired. And... I remember that the oh boy in this one was said by someone other than Sam, and I remember that sticking out my mind as being clever, and that is literally the only thing I remembered about this episode going in. (laughs) So I said, yeah, this must be a really forget as forgettable as Piano Man. But as I sat down and I watched, I said, wait a minute, this is a really solid episode. I enjoyed um, just about every facet of it. There's some problems I have with it, but... It surprised me how much I enjoyed it, especially with that leap of faith syndrome that you're that you're mentioning, Allison, because I fully expected to be underwhelmed, and I wasn't. So I look forward to discussing some of the more positive things that I uh, that I found in it. How about you, Matt? Yeah, I I look forward to hearing some of the more positive things. Um, I I no look I I don't hate this episode at all. Um, but I agree um, with what Chris said in terms of yeah I, I I found it very forgettable. I watched it yesterday in preparation for this, and and I still find it very forgettable. Um, it, it's an all right episode. It's serviceable, but there's very little in it that jumps out at me, and there's things that should stand out to me as well. Um, we'll get onto that later, I'm sure. But there's, um, yeah, it, it's it's just not a standout episode. Even I think putting it later in the season so it doesn't suffer from leap of faith syndrome, um, it wouldn't make any difference to me. It's yeah, it, it's it was bound to come up in the rotation eventually. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! You can tell um, that it's a Tommy Thompson episode, though. Like, there's lots of his trademarks in it. and uh, Every every one of his trademarks oh, sure. is in this one. Well, except boy. someone yeah. jumping out a window. Apparently, they didn't have, <laughs> only someone sneaking in a window. But, right, um, right. but you know, like, watching it last night, uh, one of the things that I, I noticed, I hadn't really noticed before, is just how many elements are going on in this episode. Like, there's a lot of different things happening uh, for something that, that is seemingly a simple plot. And, and I do appreciate the layers put into the characters in it. Yeah. Yeah. And here's one thing I did appreciate about it getting to that point. When you talk about those layers, I noticed that as well. It was a little bit less melodramatic than quantum leap up until this point has been. And it was almost like after the leap back, you sense a Sam that's more grounded, more comfortable in who he is and what he's doing as a leaper, because he didn't see Alpha, what, the first, from his point of view, it had to be hours before he saw Al. So he's sitting on the bus, he's sitting in the diner, he's going with it, and when Al shows up, he's like, hey, what's up? I mean, if this were a season three episode, he would have been like, where have you been? Oh my God, what am I doing here? Oh, But in, in this, he's just he's just settled in, he's going with it. Because he's done baseball before. He's not going to freak out, Al, I'm a baseball player, what do I do? <laughs> And also, to to be fair, he sat on a bus and he sat in a diner. If this was a season three episode, he'd have been almost killed three times by now. <laughs> it is, this is this is a low key start for him. I love it though. All the all the stupid comedy things that they add. Like he leaps in, 
and he ate something spicy. And that's the extent of that joke. Like, and That through, wasn't something spicy. You don't know what that was? Was it supposed to be like tobacco? It was chewing tobacco, exactly. At a big wad of chewing tobacco. It seemed like he was reacting like it was like it was spicy. No, he was reacting like he wanted to vomit because it's vile. Oh, well, all right. (laughs) Regardless, the reaction was really funny and like carried on into the next scene. Like he's walking out like, gross. (laughs) And then when they have um, the kid walk in, Michael Belisario. Of course. Mm -hmm. um, And says the oh boy. And I love his character because he's just gossip kid. (laughs) <laughs> he's just like he's sneaking at wind like at doors and like listening in like oh i got the gossip <laughs> oh man that's great they got the whole subplot with the peeing pig that we hyped up the peeing pig that we did hype up and now this is the second time that sam has played a doc in glasses who has to take care of a piglet yeah yeah what's that all about yeah. so i really i didn't know does that work or is it <laughs> just that <dumb>? work? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I kind of really enjoyed the callback, and I liked that he said, oh, no, not a pig again, and the fact that, you know, there was a little bit of a continuity there. I don't... I, was that a... Did Tommy write how the test was won? Oh, no. That was a, no, that no, was no, a, no, a woman. I think she that was the only one she wrote, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. We did get into that when, when we talked about other stuff, because you love your Widowmaker. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lady who wrote it, right? I want to say it was. I, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure... Yeah, she only did the one. But it was odd to me that they went with a character with the same name, the same characteristics, and even the same livestock. But it worked. Anytime that Sam has to deal with a disgusting animal is good to me. Like, he has to deal with an animal and they just do kind of gross things, because that's just what animals do. You know, like the pig rolling around in dirt all the time and squealing and... (laughs) It reminds me of, like, in uh, Blind Faith, like, the dog, like, eating treats and burping at him. I'm like, ugh, disgusting. (laughs) Considering that Sam grew up on a farm, they do get a lot of comic relief out of animals on this show. Yeah, yeah, he seems like he doesn't... (laughs) He's, like, the fact that he doesn't like pigs or dirt and, like, ugh. <laughs> he must have been a terror at that farm. No wonder he left. He's like, I gotta, I gotta get into MIT, get away from this stupid farm. It'll be clean, clean. It's just all mud and shit all the time. You don't get it. <laughs> I kind of wondered about this one. Um, at the very beginning, Sam skins his elbows, uh, sliding uh, into home or something, and. I kind of wonder if Scott Bakula, like, just accidentally scraped his elbows and they wrote it in or something. <laughs> Matt, any insight on that? Not that I'm aware of, no. Um, but at least uh, something like that isn't going to be like the um, the thing in the previous season where they keep having to write it in week after week after week. Oh, Sam's fallen his elbow again. That was one of the touches if it wasn't because he actually scraped his arms while doing that leaping slide. When when I noticed that his elbows were all banged up in the next scene, I said, oh, that's a nice little bit of continuity because they're keeping this, this reality intact. And yeah, he's going he's gonna to carry that. And th- then they referenced yeah. it again when he's trying to get away from Matahari. And, um, <laughs> you know, I said, okay, well, they're, they're still working it in. So I can't have sex with you, my elbows. <laughs> <laughs> It's not one of the ones that I've got a script of, but Alison, do you have the script for this? Uh, I don't recall offhand, and if I did read it, I remember nothing about it, so 
I can't tell you if that was in there or not. You see? Forgettable episode. Yeah. So, I mean, listeners, you tell us if uh, the elbows were just a happy accident that they had to write in, or if that was just um, really consistent character work on the part of everybody involved in this production. I mean, if it was just a detail, then that's nice. It's nice that they added a little mm. thing like that, but it's kind of yeah. unusual, like, because then they have to do the work of, like, applying the makeup for each scene to something that really doesn't relate to anything in the plot. So it would just have to be a, something to help build the world, I guess. It did get him out of sexual harassment slash rape. So it did serve its purpose as a plot point anyway, if they were going to write it in. Hmm. Um, um, I don't want to get into that part of the episode yet because, you know, I'd rather talk about the good character work before we get into some of the bad character work. Does anybody mind that? Yeah, sure. Absolutely not. We cannot <laughs> talk about the good character work. <laughs> well, I mean, who stands out in this episode? Who's who's really the superstar? Damien Dark himself, Neil McDonough. Baby Neil McDonough in this. Mm. I couldn't believe it. When I saw him, I said, oh my God. And he was just amazing in this episode. I thought he was great. What did you guys think? Allison? <laughs> <laughs> no, I... I... I think he did well with what he was given. Um, and it, this is my, my my key issue with this episode. I, I love father-son stuff um, in, in any TV show. It's always the kind of thing that gets to me. But I think the way his character was dealt with, I found quite unsympathetic. And I couldn't make that connection with him. And I don't want to blame Neil because I know what a good actor he is. I also don't want to blame Tommy because I know what a good writer he is. I don't know what quite happened there, but I can't sit here and applaud the actor or the character because it just, I didn't, I didn't connect. I, um, I got what they were doing. Like, I mean, uh, they're, they're, you know, they outright state what the, what the deal is anyway. Um, the reason having that story to, to parallel things with Sam and Al, but, um, like, it was a necessity. Sure. Uh, I didn't think it was it was badly done. Um, Neil McDonough, I've seen him in a lot of stuff, uh, and he's he's usually pretty solid. And he wasn't like bad in this. He but he's kind of <laughs> he's kind of got a crazy face. <laughs> yeah. He kind of looks like he's gonna he's gonna unhinge his jaw and swallow Scott Bakula whole at any point. <laughs> yes, he's got very intense eyes and mouth, and like it kind of distracts me sometimes. And there's a lot of points in this episode. I feel like his character is in love with Sam. Like he's like there's lots of like shirtless scenes going on. There's lots of like getting right in his face. There's lots of intense closeness going on here. Wait, were you writing some slash fiction about this? <laughs> no, I, d- is, I mean, is like, what, is that what this is going towards? If that was the intention, that's fine. Like, but I just like and it a was bonus <laughs> for Patreon patrons. Allison's slash fiction is now available. If you pledge twenty dollars or more, he was very touchy feely and close with him, right? He was constantly like grabbing him when they're in that fight. They're nearly nose to nose. Yeah, I mean, I I just saw that as drunk in your face, heighten the drama. They always say you have to go big on the small screen, right? So I think that he was a... Oh, he went big. Yeah. <laughs> what was this? His second acting gig for TV, according to IMDb, was this episode. I mean, this was really at Aww. the start of his career, yeah. Was it really that early for him? He did good. He 
He did good. I, I don't want to seem like I'm making fun of him. I'm really not. Like, it's it's just there's times where he's just very intense. <laughs> he was, but there was also just a certain naturalness about his character, especially when they were getting into that fight in the diner. And he told the guy, you know, look. Yeah, old boy, if it spinned ugly, you'd be a rich you know, man. I just <laughs> and just he knew that he was taunting him and he was waiting for the guy to come at him. And he's behind Sam just laughing his ass off like, come on, let's go. I am crazy. I am the crazy one. And just something about his choices in this episode just made it work for me because he didn't give a crap. And he knew, you know, he, he was kind of cocky because he knew who's better on this team than me. Nobody. They really going to he even says to the coach, you, you're going to kick me out. You, you want to win this playoff. Right. And it should make him like instantly unlikable. But I still like them. And it did for me. That's the problem. It kind of pushed. I, I get that. I get they were trying to push you away a bit, but it just, it worked a bit too well for me. Oh, okay. Well, I, that could be a compliment in a way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I I liked that they had a character that was pretty unsympathetic for a lot of it. Because, I mean, that I, you, like you guys pointed out, that was the point of it, you know, until like, you know, Al's like, well, what's the big deal about this kid? Like, why do you care? Well, because Sam knew someone like that. Who he believed yeah. in, you know, and he saw that there was someone else underneath that. What are you so interested in this kid for, anyway? Because <sighs> he reminds me of you. What? You remember the first time we met, Al? You were running the Starbright Project, and uh, I came into the lab, and you were smashing a vending machine with a hammer. Oh, uh, it ate my dime. Yeah, you were you were drunk and uh, angry, and the government wanted to wash you out of the project completely. But I stopped them because I knew that underneath all that booze and that anger was a pretty terrific person. So you think this kid is a terrific person too? I don't know, but I think he deserves a chance to find out. You You guys want to get into that that little bit of Sam and Al since since we're there now anyway. It's got to be the major fan point of this episode and I can I like I said I hadn't seen this in so long. I had completely um forgotten and didn't even realize that Al was in charge of Project Starbright. Starbright has gotten so conflated with Donna in fan fiction circles and um like trying to put Sam and Donna together in in my mind that I forgot what Al's part in Starbright actually was. I mean, we never find out what Starbright is. But I I think that it's taken on a life of its own in the fandom that is completely separate from what we hear in this episode. I just like it's it's the timeline that confuses me. Like we were talking about this before um, because Al was in charge of Starbright when they first met. But Al was also the one that gave Sam his first break. So like either before or after Sam encounters him drunkenly destroying a vending machine, um, that's when he was hired. And then he helped save him from from being washed out of the project. Well, that's that's easy. Al, Al hired him without having met him. Sam's reputation speaks for itself. He could have read up on Sam, knew that he was a, a genius in the making and said, yeah, we should get this guy on board. I've never met him. I'm not going to meet him. Let's just sign him off, get him in, and 
then he got drunk and got into a fight with the vending machine. That's how I've always rationalized it in my head. That's so interesting to like imagine playing out. Like imagine you're hired your first big break and and you encounter your boss or the guy who hired you and yeah. he's drunk and destroying a vending machine. Yes. And then and then you're uh, Al Calavici and <laughs> and you're about to get washed out of this project and you get saved by the Wonder Kid. <laughs> yep. Who you put there. Who you put there. <laughs> yeah. Because he he met him once and he's just like, you know what? There's something good about this guy. Underneath this man destroying a vending machine, I see a good person. <laughs> he's just hired me. Of course I see a good person. He signs my paychecks. Oh man, this episode should have been called Going to Bat. And then he's like, he went to bat for him. And then there you go. How long have you scripted that one? <laughs> That's great. That's great. That's a great scene when when uh, when Sam and Al talk about when they first met. It was, oh, yeah. It's like it's a yeah. standout scene in the show, even though the episode itself uh, doesn't really stand out to me. Yeah, and uh, it's gone a long way towards um, building the the extraneous world of of the fandom, and it's such a different tenor from the last time that I recall hearing Sam talk about Al and the alcoholism and that kind of stuff. And that's when they were in played against Seymour. And he said, I don't get my answers from the bottom of a bottle. So if you got nothing more constructive to say, then just get the hell out of here. Mm. And I know that that could also just be first season. We don't really know who these characters are yet kind of writing. So it, it seems very out of character, but it's all canon. So you do have to sort of retcon it in your head somehow. Yeah. And I'm wondering if if the relationship that Sam shared with Al, seeing that promise and actually realizing that promise doesn't come with a darker side of knowing that this person can be so much more, but then having to suffer through the fact that he's going to relapse, that he's a human being. And this is always a part of his personality that you might have to deal with. And it's not a fun part of his personality. And it could be that whole tough love thing. And that's, 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 I've been thinking about it since I saw, cause I watched it this morning and it's just like you, that's, that's the kernel of who they are together, the, the scene in this, but then you get that, just that blatant anger and go away in Seymour. And that's equally valid to me because if Al is an alcoholic and he does fall off the wagon, he's obviously a belligerent drunk. And maybe that's not someone that you want to have to deal with. You see shades of that with Al sometimes in the series, like in M.I.A. Absolutely. Like he turns into like this very belligerent mess of a person. Yeah. And uh, and when you know that this is part of his story, that uh, he suffers with alcoholism and you look back at like the pilot and he's drunk through parts of it. Yep. What is that like? Sam leaped without telling him. They don't know what's going on. Like he's stuck in the 50s. And then Al just just goes and falls off the wagon. Like, it's so tragic. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think about that aspect, too. Yeah. It's interesting how the show sometimes treats the alcoholism as a joke and sometimes as a, as a dramatic point. Because, yeah, in, in, the, in the pilot, it's, uh, oh, look, he's hungover. Isn't that funny? Yeah, but they, they talked about the fact that they were all celebrating, right? They popped the champagne and yeah. wasn't he making out with somebody in the copy room? Was it Tina? It might have been Tina. Yeah. But you know what? You only have Al's word for any of this stuff. That's true. And it kind of comes mm. off sometimes like Al's making this stuff up. 
to maybe like <laughs> I don't know soften the blow for Sam or to like you know not admit that things are going wrong or things like that. There's so many things about Al as a character that seem that are funny but have layers of tragedy underneath. I've never looked at it that way. The 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 thing that stands out to me about like season one, Al especially, um, they had that episode uh, with the boxer. And in the church, and Al has this subplot where he's talking about this guy keeping him awake, all, like his neighbor, like working on his car all the time. I, I was, it's funny. I was thinking about that. And That's, yeah. the way that Dean Stockwell plays it is so strange and because he's so sad about it and they never really explain why. And that always came off to me like there is no neighbor there is no problem with the car. Like, there's some other reason why, maybe because Sam being stuck or some other thing going on in his life, but he would rather make up this story about this car and make it kind of lighthearted than admit that something is going on. Hmm. Deep. It could be that deep, guys. It could be. See, that's but that's that's the rub of this, because when, I mean, it's, it's getting so complex, because when you think of Al, he's usually Mr. Exposition. He's, he, he gives you the facts. And to sort of subvert that and make him an unreliable narrator, mm. even in something small like that, Allison, um, would have been very ballsy for TV at the time. And yeah. I guess they do cement the fact, though, that he does freely lie to Sam with the pact that he made with Donna. Like, he'll, he'll never tell Sam about Donna. He's forgotten again, and you're, you're not to tell him anything, Al. And, uh, you know, he, he takes that to heart. So it's, it gives me a lot more to think about whenever I'm looking at Al's character on screen now to wonder what's he leaving out? Not just what is he putting in, but what is he leaving out? What is he leaving out deliberately? He does lie to Sam a lot. He lies in this episode. <laughs> He's like they're uh, they're walking down the 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 field, and like yeah. Ziggy's trying to like say something in the in his pants or whatever, and he's like, "Oh, never mind." Trying to like you know hit Ziggy like the hand link, like "Ah, shut up," because he wants Sam to focus on the leap. Like he's like you know you can't save everyone, you can't save yeah. the world. You have to just focus on this. But when, whenever that happens, they spell it out so so clearly. I don't I don't want to believe there's other stuff that that we have to read between the lines for because they're, they're not subtle when Al lies. Well, how many times do you know that he lies because you don't oh, know the truth? yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Busted. Uh, sure, like, I think there's a lot of it you just, like, it's some of it's just retroactive continuity and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, but it's fun to think about. Yeah, I do think that he just makes stuff up a lot and that's kind of great because he's the only thing that Sam has to depend on and he's really not that reliable. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but getting back to the point that you made about Al lying to Sam specifically in this episode, I thought that that was a wonderful new wrinkle that we didn't get to explore a lot on the show. And it's it's it, it's the whole idea of Sam needing to do what he needs to do to leap as opposed to the needs of others that he may be able to help that might be at cross purposes with achieving his leap and they never really go into that in the show and it's it's something that i've always heard people that are just more casual fans of the show ask like when he's got to win the basketball game in the leap home and uh, you know no nose doesn't marry lisa doesn't marry no nose and what what that that team in the original history won Mm-hmm. So Sam making them now lose, what happens to all of their futures? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, okay, so it's it's good for him, but 
So I, I like the fact that Tommy kind of brought it in. It was very subtle, but Sam is just like, okay, well, Doc, you know, he's, uh, you're telling me I need to do this for Doc, but we could help, we could help Chucky over here. And why can't that be part of it? And Alice like, because you need to leap and you can't help everybody. And it's another strength of the episode. It wasn't melodramatic. If, again, like you said, uh, Matt, if this was a season three episode, Sam would have been, you know, uh, in in the crosshairs three times before Al got there. If this was a season two or three episode, Chucky would have died of alcoholism because he never made it to the majors. You never get any of that in this. The stakes are very low, and I think they're intentionally very low because it's just about people. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. don't always have to have a bad end to have a bad life. And they played with that a little bit here, and I, I found it very refreshing. I found it very grounding, especially after a lot of the fantastic stuff that we've been seeing in the last few episodes. And maybe that's the, the going small. Maybe that's why I appreciated it much more than I maybe otherwise would have in this episode. Had it come up anywhere else in the rotation, I might've said, eh, but it's juxtaposed to all the big stuff that we've been seeing lately. Mm. Well, I think it's intentionally very non-dangerous stakes going on here, precisely because it's following two um, very intense episodes so it's something that is just about the characters and meant to be more light-hearted fare, even if there is something at stake. And maybe maybe that's what I struggle with when I watch these in order, just seeing that sudden tonal change. And I know we've talked about that in the past, um, from one episode to the next, but maybe I'm being a little unfair to this episode by comparing it to the last few. I don't know. Well, it could be, but let's not compare it to the last few. I mean, we already said this is your sort of quantum leap sweet spot here. We have Tommy Dobson as the writer. Mm -hmm. We have Joe Napolitano as the director. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, you know, I love Tommy. I love you. I love you. But why? Why? There's only one type of woman in Tommy's script. (laughs) And the the shtick shtick is starting to really wear thin to me. I mean... Yeah, the whole, like, he's trying to, like, undress Sam and get on... Exactly. And we just saw this in Heart of a Champion. She rips his shirt open when they're in the the office. (laughs) (laughs) He's responsible for a lot of topless Sam. (laughs) Just saying. I do like when, like, um, the daughter, uh, Bunny... They got another Bunny here. Um, When Mm. Bunny... uh, she just starts like taking her dress off in the locker room, and then Michael Belisario walks in, like, "Whoa!" <laughs> That's why he's always waiting at doorways. He knows what goes on. It's yeah, just like a giant sex party. Sixty <laughs> sex party is what this is about. <laughs> yeah, the the how young was she supposed to be? Because like Al describes her as a Lolita, and it's like, what? Yeah, that that weirded me out a bit. She doesn't seem that young. Well, you know, they never explicitly stated, but you got to think probably sixteen or seventeen. Gosh, for the for the but for the time, you know, there were girls getting married at sixteen, seventeen years old. Um, it was I hate to say that that expression, but it was somewhat of a different time, Hmm. and the fact that. Tommy plays with that. I'm pretty sure it was supposed to be a big deal that in this episode, though, they're like, yeah, that she was sleeping around with the guys. Maybe because her mom was jealous, but I'm pretty sure it was a negative thing. Uh, I think it was a negative thing, but what does that tell you not only about Chucky, but about Doc? Because she walks into that room while Doc is alone, knowing that he's alone, and just starts taking her dress off. So you know this has happened before. Mm. 
So not only do we have horror as, you know, someone who's very promiscuous, but we have the two principal male characters in this episode having taken advantage of that. Do we know that Doc did, though? Because... That's kind of like what was going on with um with Heart of a Champion where like that lady was was coming on to Sam and it's not because of anything that he reciprocated she just liked sleeping around and stirring the pot. She liked she liked having her husband break people's necks. Yeah. And there's something the the point that Chris was alluding to there is something very casual about the way she just walks in and <laughs> and starts undressing. It's whereas the character in Hearts of a Champion is coming on a lot stronger. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like she's trying to talk him into something whereas this yeah it does it felt to me like it it had happened before. Yeah, she comes in and she's already unbuttoning her dress yeah. and she's just like, yeah, we got about five minutes. Let's get this over with. That's true. That could be what's going on. I, I think there were also shades of like doing it to piss off mom kind of thing. Oh, entirely. <laughs> but it still doesn't take Doc off the hook. Sure, you sure. Know? So. But then again, like in this episode, like kid equals 21 year old as well. So who knows? Like... Because they have that line about uh, Doc accidentally killed a kid with a baseball uh, in the past. and But they say kid, and then they say he's 21. I don't know if that qualifies as a kid anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's just more of an expression than anything else. I don't know that you can I take suppose. that so I call everybody kiddo, though, so that could also just be my... That's true. I guess know. Al calls Sam kid, and he's in his 30s, yeah. so... <laughs> when you get to our age. Yeah, exactly. Because when you're 50, everybody's a kid, you know? <laughs> okay, well, well, how about this one? How old was Chuck's dad? 106. Because, like, <laughs> it, it looked like a fake beard or something, like, to age him up. It, it did not look good. I didn't look up the actor's age, but I'm convinced they were about the same age, and he just had some pale makeup on as well, yeah. maybe a bit, just to, just to make him look a bit ill. Yeah, I could look on IMDb right now. <laughs> Why don't you do that? It's funny. It's the one character name I didn't put down on the rundown sheet because I didn't know that we'd have much to talk about with that character. It Was he Warren Monroe that was the dad? I'm going to say yes. Yeah. Question mark? I want yeah. to say it, it was. Okay. I'm looking look at, this look up, up right now. Last name. Live research. He was uh, 10 years older than Neil McDonough. Okay. Yeah, so they probably age him up a little bit. Yeah, well, they definitely tried. <laughs> it was the beard that bothered me. What have I seen him in before, though? It seemed to me like uh, that he was like one of those guys. Speaking of that, guys, um, they have uh, Don Stroud in this as the uh, the owner of the team. Yes, yes. Don Stroud playing Don Stroud. And um, I didn't really know much about him, except that he's been in a lot of stuff. But I noticed uh, his eye, the fake eye that he has, and uh, I just found that that interesting. So I went like looking into what happened, and um, there was like uh, I know I'm going to tell this wrong. I think it was like there was a mugger or something, and he was helping someone, and that's how he ended up losing his eye. Wow! Like right around the time that this was filmed. So I mean, it really wasn't. Holy moly! Oh really? Yeah, it was like the mid '90s that this happened. Or early 90s, I guess. Huh. That's something else. And I just, you know, I thought it was just a bit of character work on his part. Like he just squinted one eye because that made him a little bit more eccentric or something. I noticed he always looks like that in what he turns up in, but I'd never really questioned that. Yeah. Okay. And according to IMDb, which is never wrong, 
In the early 1990s, so it couldn't have been much earlier than this episode, um, he attempted to aid a man being mugged on the street in Greenwich Village, New York City. And that's how he ended up losing his eye. Wow. That's something else. Well, good on you, Don Stroud. I don't know if you're still with us, but you were an absolute delight to watch in this episode, sir. And um, it's another another instance, and I'm still thinking back to Heart of a Champion, which was the Tommy episode, where the promoter slash coach slash whatever should have just been a complete cartoon character because that's pretty much how they wrote him. He doesn't have a name in this. He's just coach. And it's <laughs> like he came across as really sincere in places and really he was a real character. Like there was a presence there, not just something to play Mm. off of. And another part of the episode that I found refreshing in a sense that you have all the pieces in place here for this to be a total cliche fest yet. The actors rise above it. Yeah. I'll give you that. Definitely. I don't think anyone was like putting in a half-hearted performance. It's not even that, but it was just like, it could also just be a, a consequence of the material you're given, like poor Mary Cheatham, who played Margaret. And if there's ever a one-note character, and this is where it is the most, <laughs> I think, direct ripoff of Major League, sort of the over-sexualized female team owner. Okay, that's what it was from. Yeah, that's what yeah, I was thinking. Yeah. The, the Major League similarities. Yeah, and she was even redhead in Major League. I just liked her southern twang. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's, 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 it's quantum leap. And this is, I think, also where the show starts becoming a movie of the week version of the hot movie that's out now. Sure. Because we're going to notice that more and more season four goes on, spoiler alert, that they're going to take premises that seem to be from popular movies and put the quantum leap spin on them. Yeah. To varying, varying success. Their previous baseball thing was also inspired yes. by another baseball movie, wasn't it? It yeah. was The Natural. The Natural, right? But wasn't the previous baseball thing just the second part of the pilot? Yeah. Not not even that. Sure. It wasn't very it wasn't very long. It was just the scene was shot and it even says so in the script, shoot it like the natural. So gotcha. that's what they were doing. Another baseball movie I've never seen. Yeah, I don't I've never seen it, but I've read the script <laughs> and that's what they were doing. <laughs> I, I did watch about half of it um, in in an attempt to appreciate what they were doing with the pilot, but I couldn't make it through the whole film. That is going the extra mile, sir. Well, it was going half the extra mile. <laughs> I still have half you a made, mile more than I went. halfway and you hit a wall and you're like, uh, I got the gist. Yeah, like, I, I can see where they're going here. He's a bit like Robert Redford. Anyway, I digress. You know what's something about uh, this episode that made me really happy? Is that starting with this season, we're getting more Jean-Pierre outfits for Al. Al's outfits yes. were phenomenal in this episode. Oh, I, mean, I categorized them. <laughs> I wrote them down. Please do. Because oh. he has like a new outfit in every scene, okay? <laughs> Hold forth, please. <laughs> okay. He's got his uh, cowboy cactus shirt, which is just, ah, uh, I love that shirt. Banana colored suit with gold shoes. A black shirt with metal plates that was brought back from season one. And I, I don't think they shot with that very much because it reflected lights a lot. Uh, but they were outside. Blue suit with shiny faux snakeskin sleeves and lapels. <laughs> that that and, the, and the yellow one were my favorites. I mean, those were, that were just sharp. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that blue suit. Oh, man. And I I love, too, when he's wearing the baseball outfit, he wears it over oh, his other shirt. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was another 
another nice character wrinkle on this because I think Sam finally says what we've all been saying yeah. for over a year. Is there anything you didn't do? And he's like, of course not. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you get used to it, everybody. This is the way it's always going to be. And uh, <laughs> because show. I love him teaching Sam how to play baseball. Now, that one to me was one of the most glaring, most ridiculous parts of this episode in the sense that you see a four second pitching training session with Al and Sam can now pitch at least as well as someone who was once in the majors. Treat it like a woman, you know? That's all the advice you need. You don't need Al anymore. I guess I could do anything if I just kept that in mind, right? Yeah. We we saw Sam play baseball before though, so you know, he's got some experience. Yeah, but he didn't treat it like a woman then. That was the problem. (laughs) And he wasn't pitching then, was he? He just had to like get hit and foul out or something like that. Didn't he didn't he have to take the walk? Wait, he had um the Americanization of Machiko. They had that baseball game that they were playing. Where, like, yeah. Scott Bakula does a lot of, like, flying leaps in the air in that episode. <laughs> I forgot about Machiko. Scott Bakula is the baseball king. I feel I'm not exaggerating saying that. <laughs> he just, there's so many movies I'll watch that he's in, and he's just playing baseball in it, just because that's just Scott Bakula's thing. <laughs> it's uh, baseball, apple pie, and Scott Bakula. Isn't that the yeah. three pillars of America? <laughs> <laughs> They have a a joke in this that was a little questionable when um when <laughs> when uh Sam is is telling Al that the owner wants to sleep with him and he thinks he's talking about that guy. So Al's like, "Oh, I hope it wasn't him." Oh, oh no, yeah. no, the owner. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because uh, um I was listening back to our show on the leap back and when you Allison brought up the fact that gender seems to be very fluid especially when it comes to the Ziggy pronoun, he, she, whatever, and nobody seems to notice the shift and nobody especially seems to care and you're just like I guess in the future it it doesn't make a difference. And then you get this episode where, you know, they they allude to the fact that Sam might be sleeping with a dude. And I was like, ugh, yuck, gross. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a whole episode yeah, about yeah, that later. I know. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, we will. We will. But yeah. it just it just struck me as particularly, um, uh, I should say, I noticed it much more because of the, the conversation that we had in the last podcast. And uh, I thought it was pretty funny. It's one of those things where you look at a show as a product of its time. And characters like Bunny and Margaret wouldn't fly any more than that joke would fly i think on on a major network show these days because the paradigm has shifted so much into giving people agency instead of just making people the butts of jokes or um cliches that um that's why whenever i see someone like margaret on the show i just cringe a bit because we've moved so far past that anyway the shows that i watch don't seem to to trade in that much anymore so it just, it's a glaring, glaring artifact to me. I think it depends on what you're watching, to be honest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and like I said, everybody's barometer on this stuff is probably different. I just, I, I just seem to, this always seems to stick out to me. Like when I see the sexism that's rampant in Star Trek, the original series, it's just there because it was there and there's no getting around it. You just have to contend with it. But, I mean, you're, you're seeing these kinds of characters in which shows? I know you watch a lot of 90s stuff, but what about, like, the current stuff? You still see this this archetype played out? 
Yeah, I mean, well, it depends on what show you're watching and how progressive they think they are. Like, it's it, just because things are starting to shift now does not mean that there aren't things that are like that. And doesn't necessarily mean that it's always uh, a problematic element, I guess, mm-hmm. like, depending on how you do it. I don't know, like, if you watch something like Riverdale, having a story where, like, someone comes on to someone that's not into it and having it, you know, play into, like... Someone walks in on someone or someone like, you know, an older person flirting with someone else. Like, I, they they would do stories like that. All right. And Riverdale's just a giant Archie soap opera, though, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's a big soap opera type thing. They had a whole storyline about how Archie was uh, having a romantic relationship with Mrs. Grundy. <laughs> I remember <laughs> so. that from the pilot because I, <laughs> I got about to that point in the pilot and I was just like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to be watching Riverdale. So, <laughs> But you know what they did with that storyline that, that does speak in a shift is that the audience said like, hey, this isn't OK that a teacher is having a relationship with like a 16 year old kid. And they were like, you know what, you're right. And so they wrote that into the story, and they said, like, that really wasn't okay. So was Grundy fired? Yeah, she was fired, she left town, and then they murdered her. (laughs) (laughs) And there's season one of Riverdale. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're welcome, everyone. We saved you a lot of time. (laughs) But I I guess the point is, um, you know, stories like this, it it just depends on how you're going to play it and how society treats it. You know, um, because having a storyline about an unwanted advance uh, by an older woman or, you know, um, I don't know, that that don't seem PC or something. Like, if you felt like they were presenting it like this is okay or really funny or she was in the right or whatever, it would be different than using that as a story element and saying like, hey, this isn't okay. Well, can I, I'm, I'm going to quote you. Off of the Quantum Leap podcast. I'm going to quote uh, Allison on movie nights. You were talking about that Melissa Joan Hart movie where she kidnaps, was it Freddie Prince Jr. or what? It was Mario Lopez. Mario Lopez. And you said, imagine the horror that would be uh, unleashed upon the world if the roles were reversed in, Absolutely. In, in this movie. So imagine if that was Buddy going after Samantha. That was not played for laughs. Absolutely. That was not played as a vamp. Yeah. That was played as sexual harassment and rape. So it's with me, it's like I, I've seen this trope now and it annoys me. So whenever I see it, I react more than I maybe should have in the context of the episode, but it's hard to unsee it. It's like seeing a villain origin story. They turn into a villain because their child is sick. That's another one that always <laughs> pisses me off. Um, and whenever I see it, it just, I, I, I can't get past it. And I feel like I've gotten to that point with this type of female representation on Quantum Leap. It's a double standard for sure, and I know we've talked about this before too. Like, it's it, there's a very different way of portraying men being hit on and not being into it versus women, um, and it's treated more seriously with women versus men, and uh, it absolutely happens on Quantum Leap a lot. Yeah, yeah. This won't be the last time we talk about this. Probably not, but it's the last time I bitch about it, everyone. So thank you for <laughs> thank you for indulging me. Thank you for indulging me. This Now we'll just do a shorthand. Yeah, that. That's all I'm ever going to say about this kind of thing ever again on the show. <laughs> so, I mean, there's another Tommy staple in this, though, the father-son drama, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, daddy issues. Yeah. <laughs> Big league daddy issues. But what did Tommy say in his interview with us? I'm always writing about my dad. 
and in this one it, it's blatant but i i like the parallel that they did the the father son thing between not only doc and chucky but between sam and al was there supposed to be a father son parallel for sam and al in this I don't know. I I think because of the alcoholism thing, it kind of it puts Sam into a paternal position in their in their friendship, just in terms of that, which as the younger of the two creates a bit of an interesting dynamic. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's intended to be more about the friendship. But you could look at it as a father son relationship for sure. All right, guys, and uh, just like you wanted to point out the clothes, Allison, I think I counted no less than five radios in this episode. So good on you, Quantum Leap, <laughs> coming in strong in season four with the radios right out the gate. And uh, just to say, if you're a radio geek like me, there's a lot of stuff in there to see. Are any of them anachronistic? It looked to me if there were two that I thought had been in previous shows, but I need to get clearer shots of them. But this was in 1961, and both of those sets were 1962 sets. So, yes. Ooh, I get excited by that stuff. <laughs> you do, because it gives you content for the book. Uh, the <laughs> listeners, they've already glazed over. They're like, oh, God, not again. <laughs> Chris, you'd mentioned before um, that this episode had more of a tone of, like, Sam just being comfortable in, in what he's doing and... I did like the more kind of casual vibe about this because Sam is so distressed all the time. Exactly. By the time they're, <laughs> they're wrapping this up, he's just chatting with Al like, you know, I should have been a, a baseball player. That'd be pretty cool. And then like just catches a baseball, leaps out. Like, I didn't feel like Sam was in a, a lot of dis- distress in this one and not in a way that it didn't seem like it mattered. It just seemed like it was a nice break for him. Yeah, and that's what I meant when when I brought it up. It, it's a very subtle shift, but it seems like the hysteria factor has been ramped way down. And you just have someone who knows what he's about, is much more comfortable in his skin and in the situation he's in. And he can just approach this stuff with a lot more seasoning, a lot more patience, and a lot less uh, hysterics. And I don't know that that's going to last throughout season four. Um, I know um, the next episode gets back into some pretty heavy, heavy melodrama, but it's not mm. Sam melodrama. It's still a pretty dramatic plot, but we it's just a subtle shift that I see in Sam's character that I really happen to enjoy in this episode. And I hope that Scott gets to play him that way or chooses to play him that way more often as season four progresses, because how long can you sustain the idea that Sam's in mortal peril and he's not going to leap? And even for him, even if he was in mortal peril and even if he's not going to leap... I still think that he would just take it in stride now. He'd be like, yeah, all right. Uh, it's four years yeah. now, guys. I, I, I'm, I'm done worrying. I'm, I'm just uh, done. Yeah. I'm, I'm done crying, worrying, running. I'm here to do a job. I'm going to do the best job I can. Leap or don't. Uh, I, you know, and maybe that's a little bit too nihilistic, but some of the dramatic crutches have been, have been taken away. Maybe it's sort of a shift from being a reactionary hero to someone who seeks out doing these things that is the perfect way you just crystallized it Mm. in a way that i've been trying to stumbling over my own words for the last (laughs) hour thank you allison (laughs) he's not reacting anymore he's acting oh god you're the best (laughs) (laughs) there's you know there's a scene i'm thinking of from a a future episode um without getting into any spoilers or anything but um sam has a line 
where he's talking about leaping and he says, you know, I, I just sort of stumbled into this, but now I kind of like it. <laughs> and that's sort of the shift there, you yeah. know, where he's just like, yeah, I kind of like just going around helping people instead of just like, when am I going to go home? This is annoying. I hate this. Right, right, right. Yeah. And it's nice to me, I guess, maybe because you also like the character and you like the fact that he's doing good. And he seems to have embraced that here instead of doing it despite despite himself. Maybe underneath all the Swiss cheesing that he's got going on, there is something subconscious where he knows he got home and he made the very conscious decision to leave again and carry on leaping. That's a great way to look at it too. And it's a problem I was having when I, whenever I watched like the leap back, knowing in retrospect what happened for the rest of the series, mm. you can sort of put that slant on yeah. any episode you watch now, but this one's so much more in the moment of that, yeah. that, that the aftermath of that immediate decision that he just made. That That's a wonderful interpretation, Matt. I like that. See, look at this. We got so much out of Playball. <laughs> There's so much to think about. Who'd have thunk it? All right, guys. Well, uh, as we round the bases and head towards home, <laughs> why don't we get some final impressions of Playball? Was this one a ground out to second, or did it knock it out of the park, Allison? Those words you just said are, are all words that I recognize. <laughs> just not, not in that order. I, uh, I never hated this episode, uh, but I do think after talking about it, I appreciate it a little bit more. Mm. And I still think that there's special things about it. So I don't think it's like, it's, it's not like Heart of a Champion to me where I'm like, well, whatever. And how about you, Matt? Yeah, well, see, this one was how Alison described Heart of a Champion, which is ironic because I don't think Heart of a Champion is like Heart of a Champion. Um, but <laughs> this one, you're just like Terry Funk. You're yeah. just a huge wrestling fan. That's it. But no, th- this this was my Heart of a Champion. But you know what? Actually, you guys have have raised some interesting points, and I'm I'm quite keen to watch this one again now, and maybe maybe give it another chance. And I'll say, Matt, it should have been like Heart of a Champion. Because it was the same story, basically. Guy wants to do sports thing but can't because he's a dick. Not because of health. But um, it it really kind of transcended all of the cliches that it was saddled with. And it gave me a new wrinkle on Sam and the way he does his leaping and great Sam and Al character moments. So for that, it stands out as a really actually solid episode of Quantum Leap and um, I'll remember it much more fondly from this point on, especially discussing it with you two guys. That always makes it a lot more fun as well. So I don't know about you guys, but uh, we've been talking for a while and uh, I'm in the mood for a BLT. So why don't we uh, take a break and uh, we'll be back after these messages. So Al's BLT joke, no? No one one got the call back, huh? Nope. (laughs) Don't you remember he he was taking care of the pig? And Al. Oh yeah, was. that's right. He said he's in the mood for a BLT. Oh, that's classic. <laughs> All right, now we'll go classic to break. Al- that I got. <laughs> okay, everybody gets my joke. Yay! Cue the music. <laughs> <laughs> the QLP is brought to you by listeners like you. Please go to Patreon.com/QuantumLeapPodcast and give as much as you can. For as little as a dollar a month, you can be a contributor to the Quantum Leap Podcast. It goes to covering our server cost and helps keep the podcast going. Thank you. So what's Captain Game Show? Well, the short answer is it's a podcast. 
The long answer is it's a lighthearted trivia wordplay Thunderdome. I call this game Dark and Gritty Kids. Natural stuff. Born Sequel. What's my motivation? Epic Bird Play. Advertising 10101. Rhyme Cast. Mr. Dalek. Life Coach. I'll come up with games, and my guests come up with answers. He's got to put down the ducky if he wants to play the saxophone. The poor monogamy. Wolfgang Puck is Darkwing Duck. Big Grimlock is Tupac. My little pony friendship is Magic Mike. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> There's also improv, music, and an inordinate amount of rhyming. Good night, John Travolta, with Klingon-like hair. Good night, 3% rating. <laughs> you're tough, but you're fair. You can find Captain Game Show on CosmicPotato.com. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever else you normally get your podcast. Round one, round two, final round. Fight! Oh. Yeah, this is Tommy Thompson, and you're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Okay, everyone, we're back. We hope you enjoyed those messages. And guys, it is a momentous occasion here on the Quantum Leap Podcast. Now for the second show in a row. Second show in a row, we get to announce a new Patreon patron. So let's give it up. Wow. Yeah. Woo. Yay. <laughs> Our new patron, his name is Barry Donovan, and Barry joined us at the $5 Leaper level. He joins the likes of Adrian Sal, and I probably should look up the names before I do that. <laughs> huh. Patreon okay. supporter number one, Patreon <laughs> supporter number two. <laughs> there, where we go. Uh, Adrian Sal and Melanie Alberts and David Billman and all of the other Patreon supporters that we've had over the years. So thank you uh, to thank you so much. Barry. That is just tremendous. And thank um, you. The fact that you listen is uh, thanks enough, but the fact that you want to support us uh, financially with your hard-earned bucks, that means the world to us. So, you know, guys, I've been really thinking about the Patreon page and how we can make it more appealing to those that, um, you know, spend their money on the show. I want to give them some more exclusive content. And mm. if you look at the stretch goal that we have up on the Patreon site now, it's for when we get to $30 a month in support that we are going to be doing a audio commentary for Trilogy. And the more I think about that, the less I like it. So um, would you guys mind if I propose something else to change that? Sure. Hell no, go for it. We've been talking a lot about doing the audio commentary for Phantom of the Park in the wake of the <laughs> <laughs> Glitterock episode with King Thunder. And what I was thinking is instead of doing the audio commentary for Trilogy, why don't we replace the $30 stretch goal with that Phantom of the Park video? Now, it's going to be a little different than what we might normally offer because Allison is so gracious um, that she has said that she would like to do it in conjunction with her own channel, Movie Nights. So here's the way I want it to work. Once we get up to the $30 level, um, that can just be two more Leaper supporters. Um, why don't we do the Phantom of the Park commentary and release it concurrently so it'll go out early to all of our quantum leap patreon supporters it'll also go out to allison to your movie night supporters early as well right mm -hmm. so it will be some limited time exclusive content at the 30 dollar level and it will eventually cycle out to appear on your youtube channel correct yes 
Okay, so just so everybody knows that going forward, as long as everybody's on that same page. So I think that's what I'd like to change it to. So I'm glad you guys are on board with that, right? Absolutely. I'm excited to see this thing at last. (laughs) We keep holding Phantom of the Park hostage (laughs) from Matt, who just wants to know what happens. I can't wait, but I I will hold off so you can hear my unvarnished reactions (laughs) to this work of genius. (laughs) As you've assured me it is. Oh, Matt, you're in for such a disappointment, but (laughs) I was also thinking, I don't know if this is legal in Patreon terms, so I might have to renege on this, but I was thinking of also picking one of our patrons at random and sending them a special gift when that level is unlocked. So there will be something a little extra for the QLP patrons as well that will be exclusive. Um, Does that sound good, guys? That sounds great. Yeah. All right. And then I had an even more brilliant idea because, you know, that's what I do. Um, Once we get done with the Phantom of the Park, I'd like to make the $50 stretch goal a table read of my original Quantum Leap uh, teleplay, screenplay. I guess it's a teleplay. (laughs) (laughs) At this point, it can't be anything but, huh? But for those of you who may know or may not know, I wrote a Quantum Leap script in college. It's the first thing I ever wrote, a script called Paradox. I was so jazzed after seeing the episode Raped that I said, I want to write for this show. I thought that was such a phenomenal episode that I went to the computer lab when I think I was in my sophomore year of college and I spent all night knocking out a Quantum Leap script. And it took me, you know, a few days to finish it, but it was just so in me and so like it had to come out and I've not been able to do anything with it since so I think it would be a nice treat for the fans to actually make fun of it and have us do a table read of it like they do when they're table reading any other script for the first time before it goes to production so there's only one female part so Allison obviously that will be going to you and um, I don't know maybe we can even get uh, one of our listeners in on the act I don't know we'll worry about all that um, when we get to that level but what do you guys think of that idea? Did you, did you write this on your Tandy computer? Or? <laughs> it was the first time I think I ever used a Mac because I had, <laughs> I had a manual typewriter and I was writing all my papers on that. That's how old I am, folks. And uh, I went to the computer lab because I didn't want to use my typewriter and wake up my roommates. I was living in a house with like, I don't know, six other guys. And I didn't want to be banging on the keys through the night. So I uh, just hiked it across campus, sat down. And it was the first time I think I ever used a word processing program. Can you believe that? Wow. Wow. Them were the days. Yeah, them were the days. And I think the script is pretty good. But anyway, we, we'll we get to it when we get to it. But so anyway, that's... The that's, script is a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah, that's right, Matt. I, I scanned it and sent you a copy, which I forgot. And it's got the shittiest cover you've ever seen, but <laughs> I drew it myself. Oh, so <laughs> Yeah. You're a writer, not an artist. Well, I have not read it. So uh, so I'm excited to, to see what it holds. All right. So we have our goals, our new goals in place. $30 will be Phantom of the Park plus a special gift for one lucky Patreon supporter. And... Also, a $50 goal to make fun of Chris's first foray into Quantum <laughs> Leap fanfic? Profic? I don't know. Quantum Leap writing. Let's put it that Spec way. Script, Spec script. Spec script. Thank you. Script. That's, That's what nice I've been looking script. for. That's how long it's been since I've tried to even do anything in a creative writing circle. I forgot what a spec script was. I'm ashamed of myself. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. So everybody, uh, that, that address that you want to go to is patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. Please go there. You could support at any level you want and, um, hopefully we'll reach those goals and be able to turn out some really great content for you all. And again, thank you, Barry Donovan for joining us at the $5 leaper level. Everybody, once again, let's give it up for Barry. Woo! All right. So in addition to Barry's wonderful gift, we also have the gift of feedback. And it keeps coming, guys. So I'm really excited about that. And we got a nice long letter. And forgive me, I think it was on Facebook. Um, I comb a lot of sources to get this stuff. And we got this missive from a listener named Daria in Australia. And we've seen her pop up on the Facebook feed a lot as Daria Sigma, so I'm guessing it's the same Daria, right, guys? That's a reasonable supposition to make, right? Yeah. Well, that's why she said Daria in Australia to separate herself from the other Darias. <laughs> <laughs> so many Darias, oh my god. We're, we're knee-deep in Darius. <laughs> <laughs> if we do have two separate Darias, uh, please, one Daria, right into correct yes. us, or the other Daria, right into correct C- us. Could she be Daria down under? <laughs> But what if they're both from Australia? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my God. This is too much. Maybe we should get to the letter. My my head is starting to hurt. So. Okay. All right. So I guess I'll begin. Uh, Daria writes, hey there, I'm binging my way through the podcast to catch up. Technically, I'm still back at Leap of Faith. But when I saw the Leap Back, season four, episode one, I felt like skipping ahead. I like the new format of the podcast, not that I didn't like the old one too, but with Albie and Heather off, Albieing or Heathering, it was good that the three of you could make the show your own rather than try to imitate them outright. And I've seen or heard each of you in things before, and it's good to hear you all working together. Me? I've been a Quantum Leap fan since it first turned up on Australian TV way back in 1980-whatever. It's certainly still right up there among my favourite TV series. Back in the day, I collected the comics, I read the novels, so I was pretty happy to learn there was a podcast about it, and a good, long, deep-diving one at that. Brilliant. You hear that, guys? We're brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Daria. She goes on to write, Still kind of surprised that there's been no revival when it seems most everything from that era of television has come back in one form or another. Anyway, I think your review, mostly Allison's bit of it, nailed down how I feel about The Leap Back, also known as The Leap Home. No, wait, is that the name of that other one, isn't it? Or this one. (laughs) It feels like there should be so much to see with Al leaping, Sam observing, and finally visiting the project, but it seems that as soon as you get to the interesting stuff, it's almost time to end. It still left us with so many questions about life at the project. We barely got to look at it before Sam leapt off to be a stand-up comedian. Come to think of it, an episode told mostly from the project's point of view rather than Sam's, that would have been an idea. Maybe Dr. Beeks might have even said something out loud. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose this is just a part of early 1990s television. They much preferred to give shows like this self-contained stories and episodes. These days, we might have had a few episodes with Al leaping before he got into potentially fatal danger, and Sam had to give up his new old life to save his friend. Yes, I also wondered, even at the time, why they didn't just leap Tom Jarrett back to where he was supposed to be, replacing the unconscious Al and thus having both Sam and Al back home. Maybe Sam actually did, but his chronic need to help people pushed it out of his mind. 
And yes, Donna is a sexy lamp. They don't even <laughs> hint that her, they don't even hint what her vital role at the project is, other than being married to Sam and letting him sleep with other women. Actually, that's both Sam's wife and best mate working at Project Quantum Leap. If we find out next that he has a cat <laughs> who runs the project Lost and Found, I'm calling nepotism. <laughs> and that's the leap back. What's next? Baseball. That's where the bowler is called the pitcher, and the pitch is called the diamond. Right? Happy leaping, Daria in Australia. And this one is for you, Matt. P.S. Thanks for the heads up about the UK Blu ray sets that just became my birthday present to myself. So, oh, Daria, what a wonderful missive. We, uh, <laughs> we're happy that you wrote Sexy Lamp. I don't think I've ever heard that term. That's oh, pretty yeah. funny. I think that's a TV tropes thing. I was going to head over to Urban Dictionary and look that one up. So. <laughs> yeah, basically, if a if a female character can be replaced with a sexy lamp, <laughs> it's not good writing. That's what a sexy lamp is. Okay. Unless it's a Christmas story, in which case it's really <laughs> well, writing. Well, the sexy so. lamp in the Christmas story is more of a character than, than some female characters <laughs> in these shows. I believe uh, Deanna Troy in Next Generation, she's been called a sexy lamp. I'm not sure if that's where it uh, originated, but... Uh, yeah. They really didn't know how to write Fidiano on that show, so it's too bad. They didn't bad. know how to write women very well at all in Star Trek for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> you might have something there. That was a great bit of feedback. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Daria. Thank you very much. And uh, we have a little bit more. I got one on the Gmail from a listener named Jason... Hold... Oh, I'm not going to say this right. Hajnaki. Honyaki? Anyway, Jason also writes about the Leap Back podcast, and I'll take this one, guys. Hello, I just finished listening to your most recent podcast and enjoyed it thoroughly. However, I wanted to point out that in the Lee Harvey Oswald episode part two, around minute 25, and I know officially you haven't gotten to it yet, they kind of discuss why they can't leap the waiting room person into Sam and bring him home. And if you guys remember, that was my biggest problem with the leap back is why don't they just leap the leapy back into sam and bring sam home and um jason goes on to write they kind of discuss why they can't leap the waiting room person to sam and bring him home something about not being able to leap neurons into masons or something like that the project was trying to stop oswald and sam's minds from merging and leaped oswald into sam and sam gets upset and explains this is why you can't do this hope you find this helpful a fellow fan this is jason horjanecki i'm sorry jason i'm gonna murder your name every time now I, I kind of remember Lee Harvey Oswald. Didn't they say that they tried to just leap the neurons and masons? Not Oswald himself, but just bits of his brain? Yeah, it, it's a pretty fudged explanation in Lee Harvey Oswald. But re refresh my memory on that, Matt. So was it they were just trying to leap, like, isolate Sam's neuron and neurons and masons that were in Oswald, per se, in the waiting room? to leap them back to Sam in the past so that they could break through to him because he was going like full Oswald at this point or at many points and it became problematic throughout the episode. Yeah, I don't think they even go into any detail about it. They just say they can't do it. It, it was a plot point here. It, they weren't trying to leap uh, Lee Harvey Oswald into him. They were trying to... Uh, basically, the reason he was leaping from point to point in his life without any real purpose to it was because there were stray bits of masons and neurons and whatever fudge explanation you want there um, yeah. in Sam's mind that 
were Lee Harvey Oswald's. That's why he was acting like him. So they were trying to, I don't know, fix it, basically. They were trying to replace the bits of the mind in the respective people they belonged in because they were both kind of acting like each other. But um, Sam's explanation was that you can't transport them without bringing other neural energy and stuff like that. And that's why it was making him more like Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, which is a whole fudge explanation within the episode Lee Harvey Oswald anyway, because the question remains, why don't they just let it happen? If there's a guy in the future that's starting to act like Sam and a guy in the past that's starting to act like Lee Harvey Oswald, just leave them be until Sam ends up in the future. What? No, but then, then it's, yes. their bodies are <laughs> they're switched. Then you go into body swapping, right? <laughs> Would you want to be in, like, a murderer's body in the future? That seems more horrific than being trapped in time, to be honest. But if you if you think if you think like Sam and everyone sees you like Sam, does it matter? It would matter to me. I wouldn't want to be Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> we're, we're going ahead into discussion we're going to have in, like, a year or so's time. But with, <laughs> it's a big issue for me with Lee Harvey Oswald. So using that to explain this never sits comfortably with me. But I see what Jason was getting at, and I agree. It's The, the two are linked, but I think it's two bad plot points that both hang off each other. Well, and it's also inconsistent, because if if we're jumping around, so... Uh, if if anyone's still listening that doesn't want to listen to any spoilers, uh, I'm going to go in a little bit the end of season four. They do have an episode, uh, Leap for Lisa, where they leap a leapy into yep. someone and solve the plot that way. And they don't leap them into Sam. But, I mean, if you if you say that it works with them, why wouldn't it work with Sam? So... That one is a bigger mess. That is that is a huge mess. Yeah. I, again, I think we'll end up talking for twenty minutes on that one when sure. we get to it. <laughs> twenty minutes. I think it's going to be longer than that. I oh, just just on that that plot resolution point. I give us twenty <laughs> minutes before one of us storms out. <laughs> it's his body. No, it's not his body. It's his mind. Damn you, Bo. Eight and a half months. That's what they said. <laughs> but what about nowhere to run? That contradicts it. It doesn't contradict it. What are you talking about? Eight and a half months is his body too. Both of them are his body. What are you talking about? Then how did the baby appear? How was our head crowning? No, there we go again. We <laughs> Never mind. I'm not. I'm not going to get into this. People who know anything about anything will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> the, the show is broadly consistent, but it, the the three examples we're talking about at the moment are, are all pretty ropey, and they are consistently ropey. I hope to be broadly consistent one day. <laughs> That's my goal. So, And shall we get to the last bit of feedback that yes. we have, guys? Because we need to get out of that quagmire. Oh, thank you, Jason. By the way, thank you for the, the feedback there. Thank you. Yes, Jason. See, see what you call Jason, <laughs> the strife and the discord? Thank you for trying to help. This will be the last episode of the Quantum Leap <laughs> podcast, as the hosts have now had a serious falling out, and it's all Jason's fault. Good work, Jason. <laughs> so, can can I read James's? Because I think I'm the only person here that it meant nothing to. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes, please do. This is uh, from Facebook. So, go for so, it. James Mitchell writes to say they mentioned my review. I'm Werewolf Two Eight One Four. It's not 2,814, it is 2814. It's the Green Lantern Sector. Thus, there aren't 2,813 werewolves before me. Thank you, James. That uh, makes even less sense to me now. Can one of you guys explain <laughs> this? What's the Green Lantern Sector? 
I I really I that 2814 is the Green Lantern sector for Earth and that's um <laughs> Hal Jordan was Green Lantern 2814, Kyle Rayner is Green Lantern 2814, Guy Gardner, John Stewart, name any Earth Green Lantern, they're all patrolling section 2814 which includes It's 2814, not 2814. Oh, I've always said 2814. So it looks like Ooh. my Green Lantern cred Green Lantern it was my favorite comic for so many years. You think I would have picked up on that, and I didn't. Is, is so. it true that um, that Batman got him by painting a room yellow? Depends on the Green Lantern, but yes, that's entirely plausible <laughs> because Hal's ring had a yellow impurity, and it made him vulnerable to yellow. Alan Scott's ring. Um, made him vulnerable to wood. So there was one panel in one scene where Green Arrow said, okay, he took a yellow arrow out of his quiver, he broke the metal head off of it, and he said, so this could kill both of you, right? And they were like, yeah, they had no defense. (laughs) They eventually wrote the yellow impurity out of the storyline. Anyway, when I was reading it, and they, they might have retconned it back in because, I don't know, Green Lantern fans and comic fans in general are worse than Star Trek fans when it comes to continuity. And God forbid you change one iota of what they've read their entire life. They go ballistic. So I'm sure that uh, Hal can still be defeated by a yellow room now. Because, oh yeah, by the way, Hal died. He's back too. So Oh, that's pretty much a given. Every comic book character's died and come back at least yeah. once by this point. <laughs> There's a small part of me that wishes I'd spent the last 38 years reading comics so I could understand this. I still don't understand your explanation, but we can take that offline. (laughs) You said it's the Green Lantern sector for Earth. That... You lost me at oh, that well, point. So, oh, see, Matthew. So let's give you let's give you a little bit more of of some context. Please don't. <laughs> well, a sector a sector would be a section of something, right? And or, yeah, yeah a galaxy. galaxy. So two eight one four would be what Earth is designated to a bunch of aliens or whatever. So if you had a different number, it'd be like that's what Uranus's number is or whatever. <laughs> and uh, okay, so yeah. <laughs> like how you want yeah. for Uranus? No, but like, uh... you know, sector two eight one four is Earth, right? So. They wouldn't just say yes. Earth, they would say that sector. Okay. Right, but also Matt doesn't know about the Green Lantern Corps, which is <laughs> like a galactic police force. And there are different Green Lanterns all around the galaxy patrolling different sectors. So that's where the 2814 comes in. Okay. And is there a werewolf in this, or is that just something else? <laughs> no, no, that's, that's just a, a, a touch of whimsy okay. by our good friend James. So <laughs> thank you, James, for confusing me further. Yeah, I, li- I like he's like, hey, it's not 2814, it's 2814. I wouldn't want to be inaccurate to the comics. I am the werewolf Green Lantern in 2814. <laughs> There isn't one. But I mean, then again, there's like a character in the Green Lantern comics. I think it's like a Red Lantern or whatever that's like a cat. Oh, wow. Now you're getting completely new school because Green Lantern was as popular, almost as popular as Batman. So they expanded the mythos to have lanterns from every color of the spectrum. So there's red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet lanterns now. And um, who was the cat? Dexter. I think you're thinking of Gnort. I'm thinking of Dexter. That's what I'm thinking of. Because there was a squirrel. There was a squirrel Green Lantern too. Oh, so there's a there's a Red Lantern who's a cat now. There's a cat called Dexter. I'm going to tell you guys about Dexter. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it, he has a tragic backstory. 
was, he, I think he was like abused or something. He was just a normal ass cat, right? And um, and his owner gets killed, and he like loves his owner, and so he becomes a Red Lantern, and they put this character in the comics specifically because the artist was just like, I just want to draw a cat like vomiting blood. I just want this cat vomiting blood. And so that's what they did. And that be- he became Dexter. I, you know, I probably have the comic with his origin in it, too, because I was reading the new Green Lantern Corps when they were doing all of that, uh, all of that new ring stuff with all of the colors. Okay. So uh, because, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, just just so you know, the reason they're vomiting blood, Matt, to get back to it. The original Green Lantern concept was that the green ring worked on willpower. The yellow ring worked on fear. The red ring works on rage. And somehow rage makes you vomit okay, blood. Okay. I'm looking at the at the wiki for Green Lantern with the backstory of Dexter. Okay. Horribly tragic, right? These thugs kill Dexter. I think the, cat, the cat's just called Dexter. And then the owner gets killed. And these thugs that killed her are going to throw the the cat off a bridge and, like, drown him. But, according to the wiki, just as they did, a red lantern power ring flew in, detecting the rage within Dexter's heart, and turned him into a red lantern, (laughs) and thus embraced his new identity as Dexter. After he killed the thugs, Dexter, remembering his owner's kind words and having the ring express his rage in coherent thoughts, vowed to find and kill her murderer. Dun dun dun. To be continued on our new Green Lantern <laughs> podcast. Coming soon to Baron Space Productions. <laughs> Does that make any more sense to you, Matt? <laughs> yeah, how's that, Matt? Oh, hi, guys. I've just been reading a book. I just got back. Uh, did I miss anything? <laughs> It was War and Peace. It was a good one. <laughs> you should try it. All right. Maybe Matt is trying to tell us something. Maybe we should take his cue. Now, that was fascinating, guys. Okay. Snap to listeners mm-hmm. who we lost. If you'd like to be like Daria in Australia, like Jason over Gmail, and like James on the Facebook, there are ways that you too can respond you can get us by phone at 707-847-6682 you can send us an email at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast you can follow us on twitter and instagram at quantumleappod or you can support us on patreon at patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast just remember we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the quantum leap podcast so that's feedback guys what's next did we spend enough time on the pig in this episode i feel like there was such rich lore (laughs) and a little pig in a baseball hat they they were clearly building up to bringing the pig back for season five as a leapy (laughs) it's funnier knowing how annoying it was to work with pigs in any capacity like i remember that story in the uh the um special features for season one and where Scott Bakula is talking about the little piglet they were working with and how the test was won and how it just kept crapping all over him when he's yeah. trying to drive and like <laughs> it, it would grow too big to be in the little shelf so they had to get more piglets <laughs> <laughs> how long were they filming for how, how fast do pigs grow apparently very very fast <laughs> Tommy really does like putting Scott through shit doesn't he I guess <laughs> it's like, oh, he doesn't like pigs I know what I'm oh, going to do. Uh, well, literally putting him through shit, because yeah. apparently pigs are just shit machines. 
They're adorable shit machines, though. You have to give them that. It was on a little leash. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the the little baseball hat. That's what kills me with the little holes for his ears. <laughs> Do you think that was a John Pierre uh, original? I yeah, so. they're like we need a special thing. Can you make this baseball hat? <laughs> John, he's he's the king of making uh, funky cutouts in lapels and <laughs> sleeves and ties. So why not in a baseball cap? <laughs> Jean Pierre Dorliac, Oscar nominated Jean Pierre Dorliac. They're like we got a specialty item. Measuring up a pig, designer to the pig stars. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we send him in for a fitting? <laughs> Squeal! Oh boy! Uh, that pig was so cute, though. <laughs> Amazing triumphant return of the pig to Quantum Leap. Let's hope that there is more room in season five for at least one more piggy cameo. Can we get an interview with the pig? Where's <laughs> his <Or is this laughs> agent? <laughs> uh, we probably have a better chance than Neil McDonough. So, <laughs> all right, guys. So, what do we got coming up next? I mean, we 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 did play ball, and we're now uh, firmly into season four. So, um, where is that going to bring us? Oh, we have Hurricane next. Well, that's the last of it. I don't want to hang you up anymore. I just didn't know how I was going to do it alone. It's hideous, isn't it? <laughs> I know it's silly, but I just die if anything happened to it. That's all I got left from my dad. And you sure don't want to leave it behind for a hurricane? Hurricane? <laughs> oh, four. Rock us like a hurricane. Cue the thunder. Is this one you remember at all, Chris? I, I do, because Matt and I have some very recent experience with Hurricane. Yes. and Right. You yeah, guys did that commentary. We did the commentary. So, I mean, if you guys listen to that commentary, we were just mainly reacting to the episode, right? We we weren't... Yeah, there know, was no prep for that. Yeah, there was no prep. So, I mean, you might hear some some of the same stuff if you're diehard fans and you remember listening to that episode and watching along with me and Matt and Hayden and I think Suzanne was in on that as well just going through that episode but I think there's a lot to say about that episode that we didn't yeah. discuss so I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it and I'll give you this spoiler that is an episode that I remember is one of my least favorite so Ooh. we'll have that to go mm. on as, uh, as we get into it so uh I don't know what you guys think, but I, I can't wait to hear it. So I'm looking forward to it. And until then, this has been Christopher DeFilippis. This has been Allison Pregler. And this has been Matt Dale. Rock you like a hurricane. We'll see you next time, everyone. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris. With voice talent and contributions from Zoe Dean, and Hayden McQueenie. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The Quantum Leap Podcast is edited by Albie, Allison, and Christopher DeFilippis. The production assistant is Jesse Newman. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap Podcast is Albert Burge. Juan Miro, Christopher DeFilippis, and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. 
The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit barrenspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap podcast is a Baron Space production. Oh, Penelope, shut up. Hang on, guys. I'm going to let her out of this room. Penelope. Pet's trying to ruin these recordings. My cat has a collar, so every like every time I'm recording, she decides that's the time she's going to jingle it, run around, so I'm like, all right, I'll get the collar off her. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. God damn it. <laughs> it's all good. That's right. Welcome back. The second I start talking, she's like, hey, I'm awake. Oh, and mommy's in the next room, and I want to go see her, so I'm just going to cry and cry and cry Aww. and cry. Aww. Yeah, but Laura's sleeping, so, you know. That's what happens when you indulge a dog and turn her into a giant, giant brat. Anyway, Aww. so. Yeah, I have the same problem with my son. <laughs> <laughs> he winds at the door when your wife's sleeping. Uh, yeah. Pause at it. Yep. <laughs> you are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 55, 54, shit. What the hell was that song? Now you don't know what? Rock You Like a Hurricane? No, I don't understand anything you guys say. Here I am, Matt. Rock You Like a Hurricane. Matt, it's, it's like, never heard that. It's, like... it's transcended the group that it's, it's a song that everybody knows for no reason. It's like played, oh, you know why? You don't know, because it's played at sporting events. But... <laughs> no, there we go, yeah. Look, I don't, I don't watch sports. <laughs> I know. I, but I know Rock You Like a Hurricane. Because it's been used in enough It's movies. ubiquitous in pop culture, but I don't know what happens in the UK. So I'm sure there are like a ton of songs that are in everything British that we just have no idea what the hell Matt would be talking about. Well, as soon as, as, soon as we're off the line, I've, I've got it up on YouTube now. I'll listen to it. It's got one of the most iconic licks in all of rock and roll. You know what? I'm, I'm willing to bet that you've heard it, but you just don't recall. Yeah, you don't recognize our beautiful rendition of it. Yeah. That's, that <laughs> it might be that. <laughs> <laughs>